Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson, how are you this morning? Oh man, I am incredibly tired, but that's okay because we're just, just going to smash it out. It's a great Monday morning, ready to go. How much sleep did you have last night, Lawson? Very little. Like, let's just say I went to bed uh, in the uh, early hours of the morning. Um, and that is because I was, uh, I guess that's what I'm grateful for. I don't know. Watching TV uh, internationally. Well, last night was the so champ- you're grateful for watching TV yes. until like uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Well, last night was the championship deciding round of the MotoGP and I had to catch it. Like, it's like the most important race of the year. So, um, yeah, it was in Valencia in Spain. And like, usually it runs at about like midnight, but because, uh, because, all the races are running later in the year because of COVID restrictions. Uh, that means the the weather is way colder than it usually is. So they've had to run all the races uh, races later in the day, which has meant that yeah, it's at like <laughs> one to two a.m. Um, ouch! But yeah, it was so. Good, so good um, it was have worth you it. have you raced on that particular track? Yeah, yeah, uh, heaps of times actually. It's like kind of a test track for us. So I was like, this is cool. And like the guy, one of the guys who I used to hang out with and like eat in his motorhome and stuff, he won the MotoGP World Championship last night. His name's Juan Mir. Um, so yeah, that was sick. It was like, I was cheering from home. I was like, you, he's like the nicest guy. So I was really happy for him. <laughs> what are you grateful for? Uh, you'll have to shoot him a message and, uh, and give him, a, give him your congratulations. Sure. Uh, let me see. What am I thankful for this morning? I'm just thankful for a great weekend. Um, being able to, uh, yeah. Head down to Sydney and catch up with old friends. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So spent a lot of time in Sydney over the years and got to preach at a church down there that is a church plant being founded by somebody that I baptised some years ago. So that was oh, praise really amazing. Praise God. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, what's happening in the world of positively different news? I hear you're going to get us all stirred up this morning, Lawson. Potentially. Got, every, got everybody stirred up last week? Yeah. <laughs> Potentially. Uh, last week I just talked about the presidency and I wasn't necessarily stating an opinion of, of what I thought about the presidency, but rather, you know, just someone had won and we were like, hey, someone had won. But this week um, we're going to be talking about big world oppressing uh, issues and good things that are happening on those front, depending on who you're talking to. So if you have an opinion on this, you might want to get the phone ready, uh, 0491064669, and you can um, talk to us. But the first one is on climate change, um, particularly on renewable energy. And it's come out now, according to the International International Energy Agency, that um, 2020, despite being, you know, one of the most challenging years because of COVID-19, particularly in the space of, you know, uh, manual labor and building and all those things because of the restrictions that we've had with borders, has seen the highest growth in renewable energy creation essentially um 90 of all you know uh things that had to do with creating power creating energy um 90 of those were from renewable sources whether it be wind farms or solar energy um versus only yeah 10 being uh from fossil fuels which is 
which is huge, which is massive. It is massive. And, I mean, you've got some places like in, uh, you know, South Australia where the majority of – they're getting so much energy now from renewables, it's destabilising the whole grid. My, um, my cousin, um, I, m- most of my father's family is, like, heaps older than me. My, my cousin, he's, like, in his 50s, and he has a solar farm in Western Australia. They pay him to keep off because it's overloading the grid. <laughs> Oh, really? Like, yeah, you know, wow. we're seeing some great stuff happening in Australia with this, but also around the world and particularly like where <coughs> the the major countries of this growth in renewable energy came from was the big countries of the world, India, China, um, the United States. Um, and now... See, the solution to this is really easy. Mm-hmm. Everybody just needs to go off grid. Then you don't need to worry about the grid. Yeah, just live in the bush. Yeah, absolutely. See, this is this is the luxury of being Australian. We can say stuff like that because you know because we can because we're lots of bush. Yeah, ninety nine percent of our population lives in like one percent of the land, but you know we have like the lowest population density on Earth. So I guess this wouldn't be as easy for other people. But at the same, and we've got time, a massive move to the bush right now because of COVID. Everybody's moving mm, out to the bush um, yeah. because everybody suddenly discovered that hey, you know what? I don't need to go to work anymore i can work from home mm. but the, the thing that's been interesting about this growth in um you know renewable energy and the creation of renewable energy is that yeah this year has been by far the most challenging as i mentioned before in terms of building things and making things and being able to to get the resources to be able to do this um and the economies of which i just mentioned you know china india us has been massively affected by covid19 Yet, you know, this has kind of been an against all odds circumstance situation. You know, analysts are, are seeing this and they're like, wow, like, how did that even happen? It kind of just slipped right under our noses. And it just shows the, I guess, the the global pressure from all different countries um, that are like, hey, we need to we need to move away from uh, from fossil fuels. Okay, um, so that was that was our first thing. Energy. Yes. And now I have a couple minutes to talk about something that might be a little bit controversial, and that is um, that Gavi, which are the um, vaccine alliance, you know, pretty much the biggest vaccine group on earth, have gather- gathered. Uh, have sourced $350 million, uh, $360 million to basically send a COVID-19 vaccine worldwide and particularly into poorer countries who cannot afford it. Now, the people who are funding this particular um, push uh, have been the European Commission, France, Spain, the Republic of Korea, and also the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, <laughs> this is this is uh, this sounds so dodgy right here. Straight away, it's like, you're getting all those people together? Ooh, yeah, so the, the thing is, the reason why, like, I was a bit nervous talking about this because of um, kind of the, the surge recently um, of... People who are okay. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. When the vaccine comes out in Australia, will you be putting your hand up to be the first one to get the vaccine? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have your hand up right now, Lawson? Like, yep, pick me. I'll be the guinea pig. I have. Is that your position? I have my fists clenched. Against my laptop, you know, I'm trying to do radio here, Lyle. I'm not thinking about that. No, but look, um, obviously, yeah, this is a, particularly in 2020, particularly after the COVID, you know, 19 thing that has been going on. Um, yeah, this a vaccination has been a huge talking point and uh, a lot of people, you know, going against um, the popular opinion and now kind of creating a, 
a bit of a substantial group of people. Oh, yeah, very. But the anti-vax movement is very, very substantial. Yeah, uh, of particularly, people, particularly with COVID. Yeah, who are against vaccines, and so I think it's we're just going to see going forward. You know, is this is this a new world order move, or is or how will we interpret it, and will this be a good thing? This is my question. All right, yes. I'm like roll out the vaccine. Like, with all this money that you've mm-hmm. just... Like, you know, I'd rather you... If you've collected all this money, well, then do what you said you're going to do with it. Roll it out and let's see if COVID-19 cases drop. And the other thing too, of course, is, you know, when, when you and I went to Ethiopia, what was it last year? Last yeah. year? Yeah, yeah. We got stuck full of all kinds of needles. Um, yeah, yikes. And uh, <laughs> that's just kind of the way it is when you travel around the world these days. But I will say this, and that is I find a lot of Christians who develop a lot of heat over the vaccine issue. The issue in the Bible... Mm. is not vaccinations. Mm-hmm. The issue in the Bible is worship. Yes. The issue in Revelation is worship. You don't find any reference to vaccinations in the Bible. Yes. And I get that people have their personal opinions on this, and I'm fine for that. Yes, Go for 100%. it. I believe in people having the liberty and freedom to have their opinion. But while we have our opinion, we need to recognize where the real issue is, and that is the issue of worship, and we cannot afford to be distracted from that. That is so true. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're heading over to the Philippines. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. There are now 67 people who have died as a result of the latest typhoon that has gone through there, and it seems like these guys get hit by a typhoon. They take a breath. They get hit again. Uh, This Mm. is Typhoon Vamco that has gone through. Um, and floodwaters in a lot of areas have been two stories high with many families sheltering on their rooftops. wouldn't be much fun being in a typhoon with the wind howling past and the rain pouring down when Mm. you're standing on top of the roof as the only place that you can actually go. And, of course, part of the problem is that the ground over there was already completely saturated and flooded uh, from... Well, previous typhoons that have gone through, including Typhoon Goni, which was the world's most powerful typhoon this year. And so when the ground is flooded like that, you know, the water is just going to run off into flood like crazy. So that's mm. exactly what's been happening. Of course, you've got that combined with COVID, you know, raging throughout the Philippines, and it's a bit of a disaster zone. Yeah, Manila's a quarantine zone at the moment. It's like. And Manila definitely. has been hit hard by this typhoon. Yeah. Oof. So uh, they've lost $1.2 billion worth of pesos worth of uh, crops. $47 million worth of infrastructure is gone. Uh, 26,000 houses. So this is, this is massive. The uh, Magat Dam has been uh, expelling two Olympic pools worth of water. I mean, I want you to imagine that going over a dam yes. or Olympic pool yeah. worth of water going over it's a like- dam wall. Two of those per second. That's like okay. An Olympic pool is fifty meters by tw- like fifty meters long by twenty meters wide by like two and a half meters deep. Yes. <laughs> so 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 take that width and take that length, right? Double the height of it. You've got that going over the damn wall every second. That's insane. That is a massive <laughs> amount of water. So, yeah, these guys are really struggling at the moment. We need to be keeping them in prayer. We need to be keeping them in prayer. But this also sounds like something that a number of charities will be on the front lines of, I think, of like ADRA or the Red 
Red Cross or something like that. There's definitely got to be somewhere where we can donate because they need the help. Yes, yes. 100%. Um, and I'm sure if you do some quick Googling, you will find oppor- mm. plenty of opportunities to donate to uh, to help out the situation in the Philippines. I think there will be a lot of different organisations that will be going in there to do whatever they can. So, yeah, a bit of a worry. <laughs> no. Okay, so coming back more close to home here in Australia, um, of course we have the history of the Stolen Generation in Australia. Um, mm. As it stands right now, Australian uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are 10 times more likely to be removed from their families than from any other people group within Australia, which is a, which is a major tragedy. And it yes. shows that whatever we are doing right now is not working. Mm-hmm. We, need to, uh, we need to figure something out. And I don't have the answers for this one. Mm. <coughs> So the um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander population in Australia is about 800,000 people. So it's not a huge population, but from that small population, 37% of all children removed from their parents are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. Wow. So, and that's pretty much – so that amounts to uh, over 20,000 children this year. Oh, Okay. Because when we talk about percentages, I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's very high, like, compared yeah, to the Yeah, now you've got an actual okay, number. this is a real, that is incredible. Now, if you compare that with the stolen generation, mm-hmm. um, averaged around about 1,600 per year. Oh, wow. Yes. So, like, and but obviously, like, this isn't, you know, this isn't from the same motivation. As Not the, the same stolen, motivation, stolen but generation. the result. Uh, yeah. The, the end result is the same because, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're removed from their... From their family, from their you know society and mm. um, culture and all that kind of stuff, um, and disconnected from you know who mm. they are. But what like I'm I'm sitting here, yeah, like you said, like I don't have the answers. Like what, no, I don't have the answers because leaving the children in a dangerous situation is not the answer. Yeah, hundred percent. We've got to come up with some way, and I think that we need to start by creating more dry communities. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a massive in, 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 uh, um, make a massive difference right there. It has been proven in every dry community in Australia that mm-hmm. has a massive improvement when you have that happen. Yeah. And so we just need to start rolling that out more and more and more and more. And we shouldn't be rolling it out based on race. We need to be rolling it out just based on where there is problems with alcohol. Yes, 100%. Because, hey, white people have... You know, or Asian people, or any other kind of people, alcohol is a curse. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the history of prohibition, it's the only thing that's ever been successful. And if you if you invented alcohol this week like it had never existed before and tried to get it passed, there is no way in a million years would any you know government agency in any developed country approve alcohol for general consumption for use and and it's like because it's you know any like illicit substance that has been passed is because there's just been constant pressure for decades yes like you know with alcohol being the oldest so you know i'm referencing the recent you know uh marijuana being like passed in various countries but that's just because there's constant pressure to pass it but like yeah as you said if it just came on the scene today never has a good result Never does. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, those numbers, by the way, so we took up 20, over 20,000 this year, are expected to double in the next nine years. At the current rate, that will double in the next nine years. So we've got a major tragedy taking place around us right now. Uh, the other thing is that 81% of these children never go back to their birth parents. Oh, they never tough. reconnect with their birth parents, their family. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so whatever we're doing right now is not working. Uh, of course, the solution is not to leave children in dangerous environments, but we need to do something. Let's start with the alcohol problem to begin with and then let's move on from there. All right. So while I'm on those kind of stories, we've got a story about the uh, workplace versus the workplace. And oh, okay. uh, are you living in a work a workplace or a workplace? This is what you were saying. I thought you just said workplace versus workplace, and I was really confused. No, the workplace. But the workplace. Okay, now I see where we're tracking. Okay. Uh, so in the United States, you have a grocery chain called Kroger's. Yes. Major grocery chain right across the US, um, who's recently fired two employers. Employees, I should say, for refusing to wear rainbow hearts because this was advocacy for LGD, LGBT plus mm-hmm. causes mm-hmm. and uh, for religious reasons, they refused to wear those hearts mm-hmm. and got fired for it. That's dumb. So regardless of whether you think they should have the heart, worn the heart or not, the issue here is an issue of religious liberty. Yes. Now, there's a whole slew of these kind of uh, um, uh, issues Across the US right now, uh, Trump in the last month just signed an executive order that uh, banning racial and gender stereotyping in federal agencies. Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting one. So basically what he's saying is, look, we don't have you know this kind of person, that kind of person, the other kind of person. Let's stop stereotyping people. We just have people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So there, then Princeton University uh, president put out a letter declaring that anti-black racism had um, was was spread deeply throughout Princeton University, mm-hmm. and so the Education Department of the United States launched an investigation under federal anti-discrimination law. So that's kind okay. of a way of putting up your hand to be investigated, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow. One of, the, one of the other things that's happening in the US, and these are stories that are coming out of the US, is that employment lawyers are being flooded with people who are being sacked for sharing personal religious views on social media, <coughs> on their own personal social media. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. yeah, the workplace versus the workplace is uh, definitely becoming an interesting this uh, is place. tough because all of these problems, though, are like, so individual like for example like absolutely facebook is such a like case by case thing and that's right and so how do you blanket how do you blanket deal with that when it's like well this individual there and that one over here and somewhere over somewhere else and you know different states different jurisdictions it's a complicated mess you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm Positively different. And joining us on the phone this morning is Etienne McClintock from uh, Voice of the Martyrs to give us a monthly update on what is happening around the world. Etienne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lyle, and thank you, Lawson. Good to be with you this morning again. Yeah, mate. Good to, good to hear your voice. Now, uh, Etienne, just a, uh, a, a question to get us started. What has been happening around the world this, uh, this past month? What's our latest update as far as persecution of Christianity goes? Look, it will be nice to come on one month and just say, look, persecution has dropped significantly and things are going well for Christians around the world. But unfortunately, that's never the case. There always seems to be new cases, one after another, and it's a continuous barrage of persecution for Christians. You know, the the Christianity we experience in the West is not what the typical Christian experiences in other parts of the world. Um, We find that of all the global Christians, 90% of Christians live in areas where they are persecuted. So it's been very difficult for them. But Richard Wurmbrand has a quote that we refer to quite often. It says, not all of us are called to die a martyr's death, 
but all of us are called to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the very end as the martyrs had. And uh, you know, Jesus' words there in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 obviously has that beautiful sermon which lays out the constitution of heaven and how we are to fully understand that and interpret the law and also the perpetuity of the law. But in verse 10 already, in early in the, in the presentation, Jesus restarts talking about persecution. And he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11 says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now it's amazing how often these verses uh, refer to when we talk to persecuted, beaten, tortured, who have um, lost, you know, uh, their livelihood, they've been chased off their land, or they've lost their job, or they haven't been able to access education. They find comfort in the words of Christ here, and of course, many of the other um, scripture parts of the Bible, whether even the Old Testament. And it seems like the Psalms play a significant role in those who are being persecuted. And quite often they refer to the three P's. They'll talk about prayer because they spend a lot of time praying. When you're in trouble, um, you spend more time in praying than when things are going well. Um, which is really a shame because we uh, deny ourselves the privilege of communication with the Lord. The second one is, um, is what's well, the Psalms. So Psalms, the prayer. And the other one is praise. And quite often they'll sing songs of praise, and we even know the story of Paul and Silas, who were severely persecuted for their faith. They've been beaten, thrown in prison in, um, in Philippi. And then um, yeah, they start singing praises to God and just giving Him glory. And, of course, that's when they are released by God with that, the mighty earthquake. So these people are fantastic examples to us, but I'd like to say that, uh, you know, all of them are standing bold for the truth, you know, and there's no fear, there's no psychological uh, effects left on, on them, but uh, that's not always the case. Many of them suffer psychologically afterwards, and some of them even do end up denying their faith. And during COVID-19, we've heard of quite a number of cases, unfortunately, where people are looking or staring starvation in the face. And then they have to make a choice, you know, the government and the, some of the people who uh, received aid from the government to distribute are giving them this choice. If you want to receive food for you and your children who have been starving, they may not have had a, a meal for a, a number of days or even a week. If you deny your faith, we will give you the food and you would live. Uh, if you want uh, to your Christian faith, then you will just simply not receive the aid that we have. And, you know, when people are starving like that, they're looking at their children who are starving and, you know, uh, you know, it's emaciated. Then it's a very difficult decision. And some people buckle under that pressure. It's, it's really tough. What kind of countries do we have where these kinds of situations where aid is being withheld uh, because of people's Christianity? Yeah, there's a number of countries. Um, there's countries like uh, Pakistan, for example. There's uh, countries like um, even in Egypt, we've heard uh, of, of some of that, and uh, India as well. It seems to happen there through the um, through Asia and also parts of the Middle East. It's been really, really difficult for many of them, um, especially children suffer, you know, under this uh, children in restricted 
nations uh, become victims of persecution quite obviously through their parents and a lot of them obviously share the same faith. They've been raised by their parents as Christian. They've been told about Christ. They've been told about creation. But they're actually the most vulnerable you know, members of society. And uh, it leaves them susceptible to severe persecution. You know, some, some little children are in forced labor camps. They're forced to work. In, uh, in Pakistan, for example, they force into the brick kilns. Now, the brick kilns is where they actually cure bricks. They'll make bricks out of mud, and then they obviously put them in the oven and bake them. And sometimes they're in that area just simply because they're so impoverished, they've had to take a loan out to try and provide for their needs. The parents and the children then actually, uh, to pay off the loan, have to go and work into these brick kilns and I mean, the money that they earn is a pittance. It takes them a lifetime almost to pay this off. So really, they're slaves. They become slaves. And they work in these mud kilns and even the children with them. Other children, of course, are just abducted. They're, um, they're pushed into forced marriages. So this happens in Pakistan, even in some places where, you know, there's, there's, big, there's big cities and uh, children are forced into that. There's extreme abuse. Uh, even in other countries, you know, like many countries in Africa, there's terrorist attacks. They may lose their parents. And this, of course, is where the uh, the VOM fund, Families of Martyrs, steps in to help them and provide for them. Uh, or if it's uh, the, one of the parents is still alive, they'll provide for them for the time being until they can get into some industry or into a safe house. Uh, often for the children, there's educational bias. Because, I mean, the severity varies from, from place to place and from country to country. But uh, sometimes they even they may be able to go to school, but they they face social exclusion and abuse from the teachers and the students. Uh, in other areas, they're unable to access education, and that just may simply be because they're Christians or due to poverty brought about by persecution because the parents can no longer find a job or they've been chased off their land and they're in a different area now. And, uh, you know, in most restricted nations, Christians... Um, Children, that is Christian children, live in, in poverty as the direct result of persecution. So we have a little campaign that we run normally this time of the year. It's uh, it's the Christmas care packs that we send to children, and they go to countries like Cameroon and Nigeria and Jordan. Now, in Cameroon, for example, 80% of the children who receive the packs, have, uh, well, last year, have been uh, through the terrorist attacks of Boko Haram. And of those children, 20% of them have been orphaned as a result. Then if you look at Nigeria, uh, many of the children were residents uh, of children's crisis care homes with other children who um, have either been there with their widowed mums just simply because they've come from conflict areas. And Nigeria at the moment is just a hotbed of Boko Haram attacks and Fulani herdsmen attacks. And there's been hundreds of people killed in the last month, like Christians killed with raids uh, of people coming in. And if you want to know more about that, just go to our website to get those stories at vom.com.au and you'll find a lot of those stories there. Um, there's another story that just came out of Egypt uh, recently and this just ta- talks about the ongoing, uh, you know, mental and emotional suffering that people experience. Um, now, Egypt has a very small Christian population and life is not easy. And uh, when Muslims choose to convert to Christianity, it, it's a big problem for them, uh, not only in the neighborhood, but quite often through their family. And this gentleman I'm going to tell you about, I'll just call his name John. Now, he was a committed hardliner Muslim, but he came to faith six years ago after studying the Bible in order to convince some of his Christian friends to convert to Islam. Now, if you're a Christian already in that country, you actually are better off than someone that's converted from, from Islam, because then you consider the 
a, a different level of infidel because you've denied the faith. And um, he became a Christian after observing um, uh, the character of other Christians, how they were loving and forgiving. And his wife then also became Malika. She became a Christian as well. Um, now, John had really known how his family had felt about converts because one of his cousins had come to Christ. And what the family did is they'd thrown him from a fourth floor building. Another uh, cousin of his was actually imprisoned in a psychiatric hospital, although he didn't have any psychiatric issues. So when the family finally realized that John had become a Christian, uh, they imprisoned and they tortured this poor guy for four months. Uh, and it took four months for John finally to actually escape from there. Uh, and then each time John would then flee and find a new job. Um, and this happened for quite a number of years. His family would finally catch up with him and they'll have him fired. So it was about a year ago that his wife and his daughters were home alone and the family's, the family, his family's burst into the door. They beat his wife, Malika. They abducted the two girls and uh, they intended to kill both their husbands, so John and Malika. Uh, friends, luckily they had Christian friends at the stage. The church intervened. Uh, and the family's now in a safe house living with other believers, but they still suffer the trauma from the attack. You know, quite often we think, oh, these people are very bold, and many of them are, you know, but they do need our prayers. And the ongoing trauma and the fear that's now uh, been in these people, you know, they're always looking behind, uh, you know, their back and their shoulders. They're particularly worried about their children. This is just an ongoing sad story for so many of them. Um, uh, how much more time do we have? I can probably tell you, you know, yeah, let's have one more story. We've got about three minutes left. About two minutes, is it? Yeah, I've just sort of been sitting here listening to the stories that have been coming through. I did have one question, and that was um, because you've got these Christmas care packages that are going out to children. Do you struggle in actually getting these to the children of Christian families uh, in some of these countries, or are you just working in countries where you can ensure that they get to where they go, where they need to Look, go? Unfortunately, unfortunately, at times we do, do, we do struggle. And uh, the needs are obviously far greater than we can obviously meet. Um, but we have to say, maybe it's the uh, Faith FM listeners, but we've had more support this year during COVID-19. We were worried that, you know, uh, support might go the other way, but we've had more support this year than at any other time. So we've been able to respond more readily to the increase in demand. So this year we're hoping to do more than 3,000 packs. Last year we, uh, we were able to fund 3,000 packs. There are about $30 if people want to go on to and donate. But the increase in donations have helped us. And at times we've got to find different ways through our networks to get the packs there. We are always successful one way or another, but occasionally we do uh, come across a few hiccups. But uh, speaking about uh, these Christmas care packs, which obviously target children, occasionally we, uh, we have them for early teens, you know, 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds. Now, this is a story that comes out of uh, Pakistan. And this lady's name is Azu. She was 13-year-old and um, she... Um, He's been recovered by the police and moved into a shelter home. Now, why did this happen? Because almost a month ago now, uh, Azu's parents claimed that their daughter was abducted and forcefully converted and forcefully married to their 44-year-old Muslim neighbor. Now, can you believe this? Um, and this happens often. Um, so the news comes as a positive development. You know, the, uh, the legal system have been fighting for their daughter. Um, according to the family lawyer, Azu will be brought before a court. They will then determine her age because they don't believe the parents. They say she's only 13. They'll do this through medical testing. Uh, now, her alleged abductor had been arrested, but this has been an ongoing battle for them because on 13 October, 
when Azu was abducted from a family home in Karachi. Now, Karachi is a big city in Pakistan. I mean, the people are relatively civilized there. Um, Azu parents reported the incidents to local police, and they were informed two days later that their daughter had converted to Islam and married this guy, and that uh, she was now in his basically custody, and there's nothing they could do about it. But the parents kept on fighting. Uh, regarding the validity of the marriage and the fact that their daughter was actually a Christian and she hadn't been converted, she had been forced. And then they actually went through the legal path claiming that uh, this violates the Sin-Child Marriage Restraint Act. But on 27 October, the High Court of Sin then ruled in favor of the marriage and, and uh, by applying interpretation of the Sharia law that allow for underage marriages. So this girl now has been taken away. The court case is ongoing. But this is just another story of young children, ladies being married and forcefully converted and forcefully married by their abductors. Um, there has been some times when we've been able to work through these cases and get some of these young ladies released. But of course, a bit of damage has been done at that time already. Mm. Etienne, thank you so much for joining us here to talk about Voice of the Martyrs. It's always a sobering conversation, but one that uh, inspires us to do something. And uh, you can do something right now if you jump on Voice of the Martyrs and you can make a donation to one of those uh, children's packs, about $30 each, and they will certainly make the lives happier for a lot of children. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.